is the, probably the most important, or in the first podcast that we did of the NBA season, the most important podcast that we've done here on the NBA Breakdown with Pinnacle, as ever, mainstays throughout the entire season. Seth Partnow and Joe Varden, both from The Athletic, both very in tune and well-wired into everything that's been happening all the way through this NBA season. And it's the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors who will clash in game one of the NBA Finals on Thursday night. Uh, Boston defeated the Brooklyn Nets, Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat on their way to the finals. On the other side of that, the Golden State Warriors beat the Denver Nuggets, Memphis Grizzlies and the Dallas Mavericks to make their sixth finals in the last eight years. Gentlemen, uh, thanks for being with us once again. Well, I mean, well, before we start looking ahead to this final series, I just want to pick your brains on the other parts of the playoffs. I mean, what did you make of it, guys? Who who came of age? What disappointed you? Who impressed you from the teams that missed out? Um, I'll start with you, Seth. Um, I think the place you have to start is is Phoenix. Um, I think kind of from the start of the year, I think uh, they were at least the plurality faves to uh, repeat as finalists and through two games of their second round series against Dallas, it looked like it was all on schedule. And then it sort of all fell apart and it wasn't as if they suffered an, uh, an injury or something like that, that you can easily point to. It's just suddenly they basically were uh, ineffective at doing the things that they'd been doing all year. And that culminated with, uh, with a frankly shocking, you know, never in the game, getting blown out at home in game seven. I mean, Joe, you were nodding along to elements of that. Was, was that the same kind of takeaways from you from, from the playoffs? Well, I mean, I came up in the East and I spent a lot of time with the Miami heat and we just came off a, a thrilling game six and game seven. And so my thoughts more were on the injuries and more of the, what could have been um, to watch Kyle Lowry struggle like he did when he was able to play, I thought was, was disappointing. Um, not, I'm not disappointed in him. I'm just disappointed um, in the circumstance. And I think even more so with the Milwaukee bucks, I, I just think that, that uh, the injury to Chris Middleton, knocking him out of the entire series against the the Celtics really cost them. I think with a healthy Chris Middleton, they, I, I think they probably advance and are probably even headed to a, a finals now. Um, but that's not the way the world works. And so, you know, I, I can't, I don't think we can focus too long on the injuries. Um, I was thrilled to see Memphis get as far as it did. I think they've really got something going there. Uh, f- feel very good about them. Um, you know, I, I was talking to somebody else. I was on a, a radio show and, and somebody put me on the spot. They wanted to know if I was a general manager, what I would do to build around Luca. And, and I'm thinking, well, I, I mean, they're, they're already in the Western conference finals. Um, and I came up with some, you know, BS answers about, well, they need a rim protector and they need more shooting or whatever. But, um, I, I do think that, uh, for a team that kind of was in the middle all year, it was nice for them to get to a conference finals. I do still think they have a ways to go, but Jason Kidd coming there in year one and getting that club as far as he did, I think is a really successful year. And, and you talk about uh, a, a Hall of Famer reviving his career as a coach. I think, I think Jason Kidd was able to do that. 
suppose it goes back to that whole underachievers, overachievers thing, which kind of does go on to how this final series is going to be played out actually in, in many ways. I'll come on to that in a moment, but on that, we've seen a lot of injuries, haven't we? We've seen, you know, a, a bit of a mixed bag really in terms of quality um, where, where that's concerned, you know, despite the kind of ratings increase, you could say an interest increase. I'm not sure if you guys have been having a few more clicks on some of your articles or what, I don't know, but you know, th- th- there's a lot more of an interest in that, but Injuries to stars and the lack of downtime between games maybe have got a few people thinking that it's time to reformat the NBA playoffs. I don't know what you guys think about that. Seth, you're a bit so-so on that. Um, I mean, it's these are being treated as new phenomena when, you know, from the start of the playoffs proper to the end of the finals is the same the number of days as it usually is. Um, Mm. So I think, I think, you know, and, and honestly with the, uh, for the bulk of teams, the additional sort of short week of the plan built in um, that has to some degree been built in. Now, do I wish that, that maybe they had, they had used a day or two that we have between the conference finals and the finals to spread out the conference finals to not be every other day. That might've been helpful. Um, and the the, then the the flip side is, you know, injuries like you can go back as long as you want. Injuries have always played a, a huge part in, you know, which way playoff series ultimately go. And sort of I think that's just a function of athletics at this level of intensity is they are players are pushing themselves to the edge of their limits and beyond. And sometimes things break. It's, you know, that's that's sort of part and parcel with the intensity we get of these games. Yeah. And Joe, I mean, look, I'm kind of, I'm inclined to kind of agree a little bit there with Seth, you know, it is top level sport, whether that's soccer, whether that's NFL, whatever it may be, you do see injuries. And that is just, that is just that. Do you think that we might see a little bit less? Now, there's been a lot of talk in some of the stuff I've been reading about this mid season tournament, you know, maybe the NBA is probably headed in that direction anyway, but yeah, I don't think a lot of people will have, would have issue in taking between, I don't know, 10 or 16 games away from the regular season anyway. But it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? To see if that would have any impact at all on the, I don't know, on, on the injury issue when it comes to the playoffs. Well, all right. So, so I'm going to say this definitively and I might be wrong, um, but I've covered a lot of Eastern conference finals a lot. And um, I don't recall having more than one day between most games. Now there, there, I've been to a couple game sevens in the past and it's possible that we had two days between game six and seven of the conference finals, but I don't think so. And so when people talk about, Oh, the, like the playoff schedule was condensed. Like, I I don't think that's true. Um, I, I think the conference finals have been normal and, you know, there were extra days off in the first and second round. So, um, I don't think that's true. I think that the, the play in only adds a little bit more work for these bottom teams that don't make it past the first round anyway, typically. Yeah. And so when you talk about this mid season tournament, I mean, that's happening um, unless the players uniformly reject it, which uh, Adam silver and the boys will figure out a way to, to make that. So it's not the case. I mean, they, they want the extra interest. It's all about money. It's all about raising, you know, as much advertising revenue and TV money as they can. 
Um, they do it where you live, uh, with, you know, all the, the in-season stuff that goes on there mm-hmm. in, in European football. Um, so that's, that is who the NBA is modeling itself after they love it. That like the league front office people are obsessed with that sport. And so I, I think that's happening. Okay. This is interesting. Okay. This we, this is a whole different topic. We're going completely off tangent here. We, we'll get on to the uh, finals in, in many ways, but just look at the playoffs. I mean, Luca was unbelievable. 475 points in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Yanis, 170 rebounds. You've got Chris Paul with 108 assists. It's difficult, isn't it, to kind of pick out a standout player from my perspective, but you guys watch it a lot more closely. Um you both know because the mast in easiest fashion I've ever seen, actually, from any pundits or any people who talk about any sport. Um, the last time we recorded a podcast, MVP, who are you going for? In the finals? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, well, I think it's probably going to be Steph Curry. And uh, I think it's going to be in part because um, the way the Celtics were going to try to, are going to try to hound him with Marcus Smart. I, I just think Marcus is not nearly um, moving at full capacity. And, um, and so, yeah, I think Steph's going to be the, the finals MVP. Seth, is there any point in asking you, you're just going to, you know, go, go with that again. I mean, I, I would be, if the Warriors win, I would be beyond stunned if anyone else besides Steph won the finals MVP, um, both because he's likely to be the best player, but also just, there's been so much of this, uh, an award that is that is frankly never taken on seeming to take on a lot of importance in terms of legacy. Steph has never won the finals MVP suddenly has become a thing. And so I think that, I think that, um, I think that I don't want to say gets rectified, but that changes if Golden State wins. Now, I think, you know, we do have to acknowledge that, uh, that I am fully healthy. I think Boston's the better team, but they're not. So, but I do think that, that there is that they have a, a puncher's chance in the series. And if, if, uh, if Boston wins, um, I think it's, it could be any one of three players, depending on how the series go. I think it could be either Tatum Brown, or I think the unsung hero of them across the entire playoffs has been Al Horford. Yeah. Yeah. So from, from time to time on our shows, I push back on Seth a little bit. And so I want to ask you, Seth, why it is you think that pound for pound, the self-given pause here is just having watched them against Milwaukee and against the Heat. Um, I think they lack a certain maturity in the crucial moments um, that it's going to take, that, that it would take to beat a Warrior team. Um, I, I think Jason Tatum has had some huge games, but he's also, he's turning the ball over way too much. Um, and I just think, you know, in a game five or in a closeout game six, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that the Celtics have shown that they have that certain experience or just certain, certain, you know, I use the word maturity. If you want to throw another word out there, I just think they're missing that last little thing that would put them ahead of, of a warrior team. So this is, I mean, I think this is an interesting aspect about sort of previewing this finals is especially once you take jaw off of the Grizzlies, I think every team Boston beat is better than every team Golden State beat. And so Golden State looked much better, like, you know, percolating through the, the Western Conference. But how do you weigh that? Like, you know, the the physicality and, and the griminess that both Milwaukee and Miami bring to 
bring to the table. Yeah. They, yeah. They made Boston look ugly. Now, how much of that is Boston pressing the self-destruct button, which I agree with you, like Tatum and Brown, especially, and, and Marcus smart as well. They're kind of ball security and decision-making is questionable at times. <laughs> um, but so that's certainly a part of it, but you also have to factor in like they, they played the last two teams they played are teams that do that to you. Yeah. Now Golden State is a great defensive team, but I'm not sure they're the same kind of like it's they're they're more of a of a uh, of a of like a rapier than a sledgehammer. Okay. In terms of how they're they're going to approach the defense, so I just wonder, you know, how much of that is just the style of the previous rounds talking, and it's some but not all, which is what makes this such a very such an interesting and difficult series to sort of handicap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is, you know, I, I'm finding it really fascinating just looking at how much the Celtics have improved, you know, for goodness sake, you know, they, they, it's obviously everybody who's followed NBA to any kind of degree will be aware that they were, you know, basically net neutral despite having like some serious superstars in, in their side, you know, and uh, it's, it's a really a remarkable turnaround. This would be just like one of the fastest turnarounds in NBA history, right? From basically being one of the worst teams to, you know, kind of, you know, up, up there. Um, wh- where do you see it going? Where do you see it being won and lost this, this series? Um, Seth, I suppose it's many, in, in many ways, it's kind of how you just described it, you know, they've got to show a bit of maturity, which Joe, for one reason or another, doesn't think that they have shown in the previous um, games in in the playoffs leading into this final series. But where do you think it's won and lost? No, I think that's right. I think that um, Golden State is better able to punish those kind of periods of really bad offense that Boston can fall into. Uh, Golden State is a team that is, uh, you know, both across their championship run and this year is better equipped to punish that with a quick 11, nothing run than certainly Miami was. Um, so avoiding those kind of situations where they, you know, end up against the shot clock and, and shoot bricks falling out of bounds on two possessions and get the ball stolen once and throw a, you know, a lazy cross court pass that goes for a layup on another possession. That sequence of play, that's that that loses you a game against Golden State. It hurts you against Miami. It beats you against Golden State. So just like Boston's offense cannot be Golden State's best offense if, if they're going to win games in the series. Al Horford said post game seven, Joe, that they flicked a switch. They focused on their defense. Is, is that the way you saw it? Well, geez, I mean, on January 16th, they were in 11th place in the East. Um, so that you alluded to it, James. I mean, that is remarkable to be that far down. I mean, I'm thinking about the 2014-15 Cavs team that stunk for a while and and got it together and ran to the finals. But I don't recall them being in 11th. Um, and yes, the standings were still bunched together, but that is an incredible ladder to climb. When you think about it, yeah, I think it does have to be about a commitment to defense. Um, you think about Jason Tatum. He's a first-team All-NBA performer this year, but his statistics are virtually identical to what he did last season, the previous season, when he didn't make any of the teams. Um, and one of the numbers that's different is he actually shot it worse. 
Um, so they, you know, as, as Seth alluded to, they, they have their challenges offensively, defensively, they are, um, they are playing and Seth uh, is our, certainly our resident numbers guy, but they are playing as well defensively since they got healthy. And since they made that Horford style commitment, um, probably as any team in a very long time especially when you consider that this is a different era with more possessions and, and, and uh, most baskets or more baskets being worth more points. Um, the way that they defend is, is stunning. Um, and the way they were able to take the heat out of almost everything that they do so many different times throughout that series. I mean, yeah, Jimmy Butler went over 40 points twice, but he had to bully his way there. I mean, they had taken everybody else out um, and they can protect the rim and race out to you on the perimeter because they have two when healthy, uh, totally versatile bigs. Nobody else really has that um, to that degree. And then when you have an all world defender at the guard position who can do that on the perimeter, but also is thick enough to, um, to, to guard a, uh, a two or a three guy, you know, I mean, Marcus, I mean, if he gets switched on to clay, he can handle that matchup. Um, and, and that's, I mean, it's, it's just awesome. So, you know, they, they are that good defensively and, uh, gosh, if they can find a way to keep, you know, Robert Williams kneecap attached to the rest of his leg. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, they can do some things. I mean, there's some we did today, uh, our, our warriors beat writer, Anthony Slater, who's as good as anybody uh, on the planet in terms of of covering teams in the league. And he was talking about their last game, um, the warrior, the last warrior Celtic game. And that was the day that Steph turned his ankle Mm. before he went out. The, the Celtics were just totally frustrating them in every way, shape or form and, and smart and Williams had a lot to do with that. So if those guys can find a way to get right, they, they, they will be able to, uh, to, to junk the Warriors up to some degree. Seth, um, you know, we were talking actually, it's not really giving too much away, Joe. We were talking about whether this game was going to go to game seven. Seth, is this going to go to game seven? Or is it going to be a clean sweep or is it somewhere in between the two? Um, so I was, I was pressed on this uh, for the first time uh, yesterday. I was doing a New Zealand radio of all places <laughs> and, uh, um, and they, they kind of, okay, we're, we're 30 seconds to make a prediction. It's like, Oh man, I haven't done this yet. And I said, so, so for the sake of consistency, I'll say the same thing here that I did then, which is I think warriors and six. Um, I think I think Boston's defense, especially on games where, um, you know, the Warriors can throw the ball around a little, too. So they're so they're vulnerable to some, though, not to the same degree of kind of the uh, the stretches of of craziness that that afflicts Boston. So I think the Celtics defense and their own shot making get them a game or two. But with the questions about smarts health and Robert Williams health and 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 everything else, I I do think that the Warriors probably have a little too much and probably have more left in the tank, having had a relatively smooth path to this point. Joe, are you sort of agreeing with that? There was a bit of nodding happening. And I mean, 
it's hard to disagree with that, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I would say Warriors in six too. I, you know, I was talking this through with friends yesterday on my way home on, on text messages and just thought um, the Celtics are going to win one of the first, one of the first three, and then they will, they could win one or two of the next three. And so whether this series goes six or seven, I guess it's dependent upon that. Um, I, I like the Warriors to win this. Um, and I just think if the Celtics are going to win. So, so to answer your question, I say Warriors and six. But to dive into how the Celtics turn that on its ear, we need more from Jason Tatum. Um, he has the body, I think, and most of the skills to be a transcendent player. Um, he can go and get 50 if he needs to, um, he can do all the little things. He can handle the ball. He can pass, he can shoot threes. He can get to the rim. He can do everything. Um, but we, as we've alluded to, he's turning it over way too many times. He's had a couple of games where he hasn't done much in the fourth quarter. Um, and because the warriors are good defensively, um, and you couple that with, you know, league leading type offense. Um, Tatum's going to have to transcend. He's going to have to live up to the potential that he has. And then this being his first finals, we'll see. Um, but yeah, like he's going to have to explode once or twice. Um, I think to push this, uh, in the Celtics direction. Could he, could he, if you're Jason Tatum, would you not say to that? Well, I've been saving myself a little bit because you know, he leads the team in scoring, um, chips in with rebounds and assists as well. He's you know, he, he's been, versatile he's been a playmaker for boston would would he i wonder what he would say to that well i mean he's been saying that he needs to play better i mean the 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 amounts of turnovers that he had in a couple of the games were astonishing um considering it's not he he isn't a point guard and so the ball the ball's in his hands a lot but not quite enough to turn it over that much. <laughs> um, and then, you know, in that game six, I mean, that, that, that kind of goes back to this maturity discussion that we're having. Like the Celtics are aware of their own history and they're aware of what the heat can, can't do to you. And on a night where they could get to their first finals, close it out at home um, against a team that they had so much of a past against, they, they not only, put themselves in a situation where Jimmy Butler can score 47, but to not get the ball to Tatum or to not for him not to demand the ball. I mean, one shot in the fourth quarter where they could have won that game is just not, that's not going to, that's not good enough. Um, and so I think he knows that. And I think um, he'll be looking to, to, to leave his mark on, on his first finals. Seth. Hey, what are you thinking, Ethan? What you do? Is, do you see Jason Tatum in the same fashion that Joe does? Um, I would, I would expend. Ext, Tatum is the Celtics' best player, but I would extend it a little bit to Jalen Brown in that it's not just the number of turnovers; it's the type of turnovers that they're having. Like with the amount Jason Tatum is having to do, he's going to have turnovers. Like no one complains that Luka Doncic turns the ball over too much. But he's not having necessarily quite as many of these not really going anywhere in a little bit of traffic, just can't hang on to the ball. And then it's a three on one the other way. 
Like the, the amount of times that situation seems to happen when, when Tatum and Brown are just sort of probing, not even driving hard or trying to make a difficult pass or anything like that. Like those, I don't want to say careless, but those surprising turnovers for players of that level of ability. Like those are the ones that, that are really hurting them. And then I like, this is, this is funny uh, because we're, which sounds like we're just going to be harping on Jason Tatum here, but I, this is sort of, you know, you, you, this is almost like, okay, you want to be thought of as a top five, top 10 player in the league. These are the criticisms you have. The other aspect of that is this, and this was a, a feature of the Milwaukee series and the Miami series is the number of times he's ended up behind the play, sort of, looking for a call or having fallen out of bounds after missing a layup or getting the ball stripped. Like can't do that against the Warriors. Cannot give them transition and semi-transition breaks. This is a team that will not get, they won't get, they won't get, you know, layups. They'll get dunks and threes and they'll, they'll have guys who can shoot, you know, 45, 50% on transition threes. So you can't give up those opportunities, which means you have to, you know, when the whistle blows, Hey, I got fouled. But the standing on the baseline, arms up, where was the call as the ball goes the other way, that beats you against Golden State. And they got away with it in the last two rounds. And so if we're going to nitpick, which we are, like <laughs> that's that's the nit I'm going to pick. <laughs> it's a nits well picked. Like it. I like it a lot. There was, I, I, if I can add, there was, I, and I, for, um, I forget who I saw this. Uh, it was Gordon Chiesa on, on Twitter was, was every second you don't get you late. You start getting back on defense gives the opposition 15 free feet of space down the court. Now that's, you know, and it's 94 feet uh, of, of court about, you know, what is it, about 45 feet, like top of the arc to top of the arc. Like that's a big chunk of, of real estate that you're seating when you're taking a second or two to, to sort of hang out behind the play. Have they had enough time to rectify that? I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, maybe, I mean, I, I get, a, it's not my, my area to get into sort of the psychology and, and, and things like that. But I mean, more so even than the turnovers, when Joe is talking about, uh, you know, situational awareness and maturity, like, okay, mistakes happen. These, these are players who have, uh, you know, some, maybe some skill holes in their game that causes these turnovers. How are you reacting to that? Yeah, it's a tricky one, Joe. Um, I'll, we'll, we'll move on very, very slightly. It's all hypothetical, this, but which player's absence would be felt the most? I know that the initial easy one is to go for Steph Curry or Jason Tatum, but is there other other players, or you might even disagree? You might actually say Golden State still win it with with no Steph Curry. I don't know. <laughs> Look mm. at your face. No, no, no. Okay, maybe not. But you, you, who is who is aside from those two? Then um, the, the 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 most key players for either side. I think you know. I, I think with Boston, I think I'm going to stick with the, their two guys who are. Uh, limping um, and, and smart and, and, and Robert Williams just because they anchor what it is that those, that the Celtics do best. Um, I've also been thinking a little bit about, you know, smart's ability on offense and being so much bigger than Steph. Um, you, you know, the smart had a couple of games in the conference finals where he was able to impact the game on the offensive end. And we don't really talk about that very much, but he can score. Um, he gets into the lane 
you know, he distributes and he can rebound on the offensive end. Um, so I just thought I, I, it'll be interesting to see what the Warriors do there. Um, if they, how, how they defend him and where, you know, they can't hide Steph. And I know Steph's had a better year defensively, but that's an interesting matchup. I just think that that's, that's going to be it on, on Boston side is, is the two players who anchor what it is that they do best. And then on golden state side, you know, you, you kind of bank their three stars. Um, and, and obviously Andrew Wiggins has had a breakout season for him an all-star. Um, and then you have Jordan Poole who has, has really changed them and, and added such a level of depth. Um, he's the new wave that's, that sort of allowed them to maintain, um, despite losing so many of their other depth guys, like from the past part of this dynasty. So, so yeah, I think pool um, over there in golden state and then, uh, and, and then the, the two defensive guys for the Celtics. Seth. So I think the, an underrated key matchup is going to be Kevon Looney against the Celtics centers. Um, I think golden state gets real small, real fast without Looney and Boston is a team that can hit the offensive rebounds, the offensive boards from multiple spots on the floor. And so if golden state is forced to play long stretches with uh, Bielitsa or, or Otto Porter, if he's healthy or Draymond at center and, and then, you know, a smaller player at the four, um, like this is, that's a situation where, where Al Horford and, and Robert Williams, if healthy, and even like guys like Marcus Smart and Derek White can really impact the game by getting on the offensive boards. So I think that, that Looney staying, being able to stay on the floor, stay out of foul trouble uh, is going to be, um, you know, a pretty big key. And then, you know, on the flip side, um, uh, you know, Robert Williams, I think we can count on him being limited at least minutes wise. Al Horford has looked great physically. Uh, throughout this entire playoffs. Um, can he cover, can he guard out on the floor? They were playing a, like a drop coverage a fair amount against Miami, but that works against Miami's personnel. I think that quite obviously doesn't work against Golden State's personnel. So can he get higher up the floor in, in you know, pick and roll action and, you know, contain the ball? Um, I, I, he's been capable of that in his career. He's 35. Is he still capable of that against all-star level players? Um, that's going to be a pretty big key, I think. Joe and Seth, you've been absolute stars um, all season uh, with all your picks and um, it's just been great. It's been great. It's, it's so fascinating to see how you've worked your way through the the entire season. Uh, for you, the listener, um, just want to just highlight, obviously, uh, you can go to pinnacle.com. Uh, that's where you find all the odds. It's also just to point out that Golden State Warriors pre-season were at 15s pre-playoffs. They were just over eight and a half. They're now 1.621 at time of recording on Pinnacle. And um, Boston Celtics preseason were out at 39. Pre-playoffs, they're at 10s and now 2.4. So Golden State Warriors are the favourites. Game one begins at the Chase Centre, 9 o'clock Eastern time. And uh, well, thank you for listening all the way through the season. Wish everybody the very best of luck. Um, if you are having a little flutter you too as well enjoy uh, the NBA finals Um, at Pinnacle on Twitter is where you can find more Pinnacle.betting on Instagram as well is where you can find all the latest odds markets as well as the series unfolds things do change do remember that Uh, and Pinnacle.com forward slash betting resources for all the latest betting education and insight for that NBA productions article Joe Varden Seth Partnow and myself James Gregg with you probably hopefully next season but in the meantime 
meantime, enjoy the NBA playoffs.